In this episode of the Smart Community Podcast, I have a fascinating conversation with Aileen Gemma-Smith, the CEO at Visalytics Technology Incorporated. Aileen Gemma tells us a little bit about her varied background from English literature to allied health to data analytics and how she became interested in the smart city and community space. We discuss why it's so important to understand the needs of all users so we can better deliver services to our community and how data can help us do this. Aileen Gemma tells us about how she sees Australia currently embracing smart concepts and some of the projects she's currently working on right now, including with Transport New South Wales. We then discuss the power of having executive buy-in and support to empower and enable teams to do things differently, and she uses the term fluency to define the different and varied experiences and expertise that we all have, and why we really need to be honouring and respecting our different expertise, experiences and fluencies when it comes to integrating across the disciplines. Aileen, Gemma and I then have a fascinating chat about the changing narratives for emerging women leaders in tech and bringing more diversity into our conversations so we can foster inclusivity. Finally, we finish our conversation discussing the lack of awareness about how much context matters when it comes to AI and machine learning and the need for far more tech and data literacy across the board. As always, I hope you enjoyed listening to this episode as much as I enjoyed making it. Welcome to the smart community, smart regions, smart towns and smart cities. It's where we live, work and play with smart communities. The future starts today. Big data, smart mobility, emerging trends galore. The smart community podcast is what you're looking for. Hello, Aileen. How are you today? I'm good. Thank you for having me. Thanks for coming on to the podcast. Let's jump straight in. And can you tell us about your background and what you're passionate about? Absolutely. So my background is someone who is a relentless learner who never stops saying, well, I need to figure something out. How else can I do it? Um, when I graduated from university, actually, was, I was an English major. <laughs> so I have a degree in uh, English Lit and Creative Writing. Then I went on to get a master's degree actually in professional development because I've had several different hats in my career. I've worked as an allied healthcare professional. I was a board certified lactation consultant. I was actually the first person to have an independent private practice in Tokyo where I lived for 12 years. Um, I went back to the States in 2006, did everything from working with Newsweek to working at a semantic news engine supported by Financial Times Search to starting our own company, Visualytics, about seven years ago. Excellent. And what sparked your interest in this smart city or smart community space? Well, I just kind of, on the one hand, I was completely frustrated that there was data and information absolutely available that could make a difference for citizens, whether you're a retired senior citizen, whether you're a local shopkeeper. And folks weren't really making an effort to say, let's put this together in a way that makes sense for these folks. Let's create those kinds of solutions. Because I guess a lot of people didn't think, well, those aren't sexy problems. Those aren't really fun problems. And I'm thinking, well, I empathize with the local shopkeeper who's saying, if a couple hundred dollars in fines or an interruption in public works that I didn't know was going to happen is going to interfere with my business, that hits my bottom line and could end up not only in me losing revenues, but if we work on really tight margins, maybe even me having to shut down the business. So I said, there's got to be a better way to do this. Let's do something about it. Let's work on solving that problem. Because I think if you're going to start a company, you have to really believe in why you're doing what you're doing. And I think a smart city is a city that's 
inclusive for everyone. So again, whether you're the retired senior citizen, someone who's just moved there two years ago, a local business owner, a smart city solution has to be something that keeps you as a part of that conversation. Yeah, no, totally. You're speaking my language. It's definitely why I jumped into the space as well, because there's these wicked problems that we have. Well, sometimes they're not even that wicked. They're pretty easy to solve, but it's just that information at your fingertips and take someone to actually go, oh, what, how can we do this a little differently so then I make sure that those people are included in this conversation? Oh, yeah, absolutely. And I mean, and that's the challenge and frustration, right? If you look at various resources, right, that different cities have in place, like this is great, this is wonderful. But if I'm a senior citizen and I don't know that I can go to that website and navigate and find that information, I'm not using that resource. And then that's a disservice, right? So you have to think about how can we give not only more awareness, but are you making this tool usable? And a lot of times, a lot of folks are thinking about, okay, someone is 25, upwardly mobile, this is a particular socioeconomic background that they come from, and they're leaving out whole different audiences of folks that actually use those resources because they haven't thought about, well, what's that perspective of that user, right? And same thing, too. If I'm, for example, working with, like, high school students who are looking for internships, Maybe they're the first in their generation who will be going to, or the first in their family, excuse me, who will be going to university. Maybe they don't have parents that are on LinkedIn. Maybe they only have a mobile phone and they don't really have dedicated access to a laptop. That student is in a very different position than the one who's saying, okay, here's all the things that I have, right? And how are we creating resources to say, we need to help everyone and we need to honor, there's a lot of different contexts and a lot of different kinds of access that people have. Mm, Yeah, no, definitely. I think you've already kind of answered this question, but what is a smart city or a smart community to you? So a smart city is a dynamic city. I think a smart city is a city powered by data. But again, it's about thinking on how do we make that as inclusive and as supportive to everyone as we can, right? And I come back to my example with senior citizens a lot because even though his daughter runs a business intelligence and data analytics company, my dad's got a flip phone. My dad, you know, he likes to be able to use things like Alexa to ask questions, but he's at a disadvantage if it comes to navigating the web because he's not sure where and how to begin. So if we think about creating solutions for smart city, it's understanding all of those different kinds of touch points where people have different degrees of digital fluency, people have different degrees of mobility and kinds of access, as well as people have different kinds of financial profiles. So the idea that I have a smartphone, I'm going to be able to pay $2.99 for an app. If I'm underbanked, you've kind of like left me out of the entire conversation. So the smart city is really in saying, let's define all of those users. Let's make sure we've got different kinds of access so it's not one size fits all. And let's really understand the perspective of those users, especially for the folks that may have limited resource or limited access to certain kinds of resources. Mm, Yeah, I totally agree. And it's something I've been thinking about a lot lately, how we actually shift that focus from super sexy, smart things and use some of that sexy, smart money to actually solve some of these real problems that could be quite transformational for people that have the most at stake here. So yeah, you're definitely talking my language uh, and it's something that it's not talked about enough in this space. I think there's bits and pieces floating around, but it's what's that real kind of tangible change that we can make. And like you said, they're not necessarily the sexiest problems, but well, I actually find them really interesting because there's no one answer. 
you know, we're going to explore and that choice for people on the other end, the users, is is also really important. But how we make sure that that's integrated together with other systems and so you have that multiplier effect and not just like a one system standing out on its own because government services and cities, they're very complex things and have to work kind of as a system. But Oh, absolutely. Yeah, working as a system... But you can't do that if you don't understand the real needs of the people that you're trying to serve as well. Right, right. And I deeply empathize with civil servants that are saying, okay, how are we working on these hard problems where we do have to understand and emphasize those constraints, but what do we need to do to get those folks at the table, right? So I think a lot about, you know, transportation mobility. It looks like, oh, this is great, you know, one-touch pay, and I've got Apple Pay, and I say, okay, what about the person that doesn't have that online banking account access? What about the person who's saying, I still need to operate in cash. How can you help me? Because this whole system just assumes a completely different narrative. What do I do now, right? Or even thinking about other things for mobility, where it's like, okay, those scooters, they're awesome. Bikes, those are awesome. Dad's not getting on a scooter or a bike. But we still need to be able to say, well, what do you do for folks that have limited access to transportation? Say, we want to serve those communities let's think about the residents who live in those communities. And those are hard questions, but I think the opportunity exists in that when you sit down and and you're really talking to folks within public sector, certainly here in New South Wales, there's a real sensibility of we have to think more broadly. We have to be more inclusive in the questions that we're asking in the outreach that we're doing. So there's a willingness there. And I think there's an opportunity in public and private partnerships to say, well, let's, let's try to do this a little bit better here, a little bit better here. So to your point earlier, we start to get these kind of ripple effects where, okay, great, this has happened and this has happened, and now we can start to really begin to amplify that. I think that's where it really becomes a smart city is saying, well, how do we better deliver resources and services to our constituents? Because we've identified this is where the seniors are, and this is where they're going to need that access, and this is where we've got you know, uh, job opportunities that are being underutilized because, you know, those high school or uni students that actually could apply for them didn't know, right? And we want to be able to use the power of information and all the things that we're doing in tech right now to say, let's go and serve them instead of just, oh, look, cool, here's a new shiny thing, put it in the blockchain, yeah, right? Like, let's, let's do something more than that. And, and it's nice to see that there's definitely an interest in wanting to do it. Again, to your point, it's it's not a small feat. It takes a lot of time to get there. Yeah. I think we've already, like, we've moved on to this next question. So let's just go into it. Why do you think that this concept is so important? Well, again, because you've got, I mean, you have challenges with, okay, we've got aging population. We've got different density population. We've got cities where you're seeing brain drain that youth are moving out and not coming back. So we're getting to a tipping point where, kind of the status quo won't exactly handle the situation as it is today. So there's an urgency in, well, what are we going to do about this? And can we do something different, right? So I think that's why that becomes important and transformational. And and a smart city is more than just, oh, what cool buzzword. And I don't know, you know, somehow they said something about there's more bikes for us or that it's it's more than that. It's really about saying, can we work together with public sector to better deliver services, but also to change kind of quality of life for residents. And I mean, soup to nuts from what are we thinking about recycling and how are we making that clear to people to how are we all becoming more interconnected with one another and not necessarily isolated. 
right? Because if we're always just on our phones or working remotely, we, we lost that chance to sit together and bring business into the coffee shop, but also really understand who our neighbors are and who our community are. Yeah, no, I agree. And I've been, so I've been traveling around and I've been talking about what the smart city thing is and, and particularly in the mobility space. And I found it really interesting that sometimes I, when I would talk about it, people would go, oh, so you're talking about the public sector and making this services more efficient. And, and I said, well, yeah, it's, it is that, but it's also, it's not about just making more efficiency and, you know, having a new system that makes it easier internally. That's important, but it's actually that outward facing where it's about solving problems, real problems for people, and then how that actually integrates into the public sector because ultimately the public sector, that's what their job is. That's what I feel like I'm a public servant at heart. I don't work for the government anymore, but it's that service component of it. And I really, once I started talking more about that, that's when it kind of made all a lot more sense to me that it's not about this shiny thing at the end. And if you start asking those questions of what problems is actually solving, you can't actually end up with the shining widget if you answer those honestly. It might be part of the solution, but the whole thing is like the framework, right? Yeah. Okay, excellent. Let's go on to this next question, which is how do you think that Australia is currently embracing this concept? So from the perspective of someone who lived in Tokyo for 12 years, came back to the States for 12 and is now celebrating one year in Sydney. (laughs) So there's limits and bias to what I know and what I don't know, right? But I would say certainly here in New South Wales, within the transportation cluster where we have, you know, a couple of different projects and client work that we're doing, there's absolutely a willingness to say, we need to do more. We need to think about doing it better. And the questions and the things that folks are asking, specifically when it comes to mobility, that this isn't just about, you know, put a scooter on every corner and boom, you can tap into it to use the bike and connect to the scooter. But what are the different types of mobility? How are we thinking about the elder population? How are we thinking about what we need to do that we've got, you know, tap on, tap off cards, but what are other options for folks that may not be able to just, you know, renew on their iPhone? The fact that those questions are so consistently being asked um, seems to me that there's there's a willingness. And even small things, like, you know, you're, you're taking the, the bus, and, and we've done this several times, where folks are like, hi, I've got a paper survey. Would you be interested in participating in this survey? And you see, like, there's, there's a push out of different kinds of information. I think that that's a really positive sign, that it's not just a, hey, this looks good on, on TV and we need good social comms, but rather there truly is a willingness to do more and to understand some of the limitations that we've got to date where we need to improve. Mm, yeah, I agree. I think there's, I can't speak for New South Wales, but there's this shift now from like, what is it and why are we doing it and not focusing so much on. I think people, we got caught up in what the smart city thing actually meant and all this kind of stuff. But now it's like, how do we actually do this? Because we know we have to do this because like you said before, the status quo won't do anymore. And there's this urgency to actually do things differently. Yeah. Well, but I think also part of why it can be successful here is that at the executive level, there's buy-in. So it's not just, hey, let's write a 20-year strategic plan, check the box, all good. But there's actually a willingness to say, we need to do this. If your team is in you know, this council or this agency, what's the support you need? How do we work together to make this happen? Because I think that's where kind of the the rubber meets the road, if you will, in terms of 
can we really bring these changes forward? When you have executive buy-in and support, empowering and enabling teams to do things differently, then you move a lot further than just, okay, we came out with a, a cutesy strategy document that says all the right things, but we don't know how we're going to implement them. You actually are, are giving the baseline to those teams. And if you've been in public sector, then you know, it's like, okay, great when I have exec buy-in. If I don't, sometimes my team is hamstrung just by the levels of agency and bureaucracy that we need to navigate through. Yeah, exactly. And I think if you have that real buy-in, the strong leadership and the right governance, which might not look exactly how it's supposed to or whatever, we're getting there, we're moving in the right direction, then I think, yeah, you can actually do things because it comes from, you come from a place of how do we do this? How do we do this the best? What are the outcomes? What are the benefits, etc.? rather than a convince me that this is a good idea, which is a much harder conversation. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And I've sat sort of on both ends of the table where we've had public sector clients who will say, hi, I'm the innovation director, and I can't do anything because I don't have exact buy-in. So I'd like to be able to push ahead, but I'm stuck with this. Can you help me work through my bureaucracy? Because I still have to make that case of sell me on why this is important. And that's very different than what we've experienced here in New South Wales, where it's like, we know we need to get better. We understand this is going to be iterative. What we're doing today may be a little bit different than what we choose to do a year from now and two years from now. But there's that willingness to say, we've got to start somewhere. We've got to start to be able to put things forward. We know that we don't know everything. And to see that in public sector, I actually really think is a transformational moment because you know, there's a lot of sense that these are taxpayer dollars. We don't want to do anything unless, you know, it's the right thing. Let's, let's be very measured about it versus can we do some small successful experiments, use those as the impetus for scaling and doing more. And I think that's a wonderful approach. Yeah, no, I agree. And I think the idea that we won't do this forever is also really important because I think people get stuck with, oh, well, if we are offering this right now, then how are we going to do this forever? And and sustainability is obviously really important, like long-term sustainability, but I think exactly like you said, they are really tests and trials and pilots and things. And when we do move to full scale, it's very important to look at the funding and resources, how we actually do that if it's successful, but it may look different to right now, which yeah, is is a different mindset to have as well. And I think we all kind of struggle with that. Oh, well, you know, I've chosen to do this and this is how I'm going to do it. You can't really see past the, you know, doing it a bit differently. Yep. If it's, yeah. So I think that part of it is really um, an interesting one. And if, when we can actually do that, how much we can shift and change because we can go, oh, right now we're going to do this. We realize it might look different in six months, even three months, you know, time, but we're going to try this now and then pick up the learnings. And actually, I think investing in what's not done very well wasn't in the past is that finalization of projects so when we look back and all oh, these are the lessons learned whereas now we have to do that because we're iterating I think we'll get a much better skill sets you know developed and all those type of things as well but it is something that we need to develop and continue along the way 100 percent, 100 percent, and and I think you know very eloquent in putting it that way but that also opens up an opportunity for folks like us who are sort of external, right? We're not public sector to say, well, here's how in startup land we've approached it. Here's how we've iterated. So if you can come together as partners saying public sector, here's what we need to do, private sector, startups, et cetera, here's how we're able to move quickly. How can we deeply partner together so we can each share one another's context, if you will? And here's what I need to do. How can you help me make it happen? 
here's what, you know, as, as a startup working with public sector, what we need to do to make this pilot successful. And when you start to have that, like, oh, wow, we've got different fluencies, but we're all working together on the same problem. I think that's where you open up new conversations on this is what's possible within government, right? Because we've had the privilege to talk to, for example, subject matter experts who've looked at particular data for five years, 10 years, 20 years, what have you, and they think about it in like a really rich and deep way, but in a very siloed way. So when you come to the table and say, this is awesome, thank you for your experience, now let's think about how we can use that in this context of solving other problems. It's like, oh, whoa, whoa, hold on, we, have, we never thought about putting that together in that way. That's really interesting. Now I want to bring this person and this person to the table because let's think about a facilitated conversation on what else we might be able to do. And again, I think that's where a lot of opportunity lies in bringing folks from the outside in saying, have you thought about this? Where folks with that deep internal expertise are saying, no, I hadn't, but now that you've opened my eyes to this, I want to think about this problem a little bit differently because you're right, there's another way that we might be able to think of using this or creating solutions and, and redefining what we see as possible within public sector. Mm, yeah, no, and I really like how you use fluency and that we have different uh, levels or different types of fluency. I think that's really important because I think some people sit at the table and they think they don't have anything to offer because, you know, they don't know about the blockchain or the whatever. But that's so true. We have different fluency in the things that we're discussing and our experiences, particularly in public sector. There is so much rich knowledge in there that just can, you know, different way of thinking unlocked and then but yeah I think those connectors that I feel like maybe you and I kind of are those connectors that kind of translate that language and then give everyone the respects you know at the table so then they can share those things and get excited about things and add their kind of individual it might be silo context to the table but then how we can you know kind of break that open and facilitate those discussions. Absolutely absolutely and I love how you use the word honour because that's really, really important. We've certainly seen that, that, that dynamic in public sector where someone will say, oh, I've just been doing this for five or 10 years. I'm not one of the cool kids on the block. I don't know, et cetera. And it's like, no, no, you understand why and how they assembled the data in this way. You've been looking at it. You've got like a rich, nuanced understanding of that corpus that no one else does. We absolutely need your voice at the table. And when you come to it with, we're honoring and respecting the fact that we've all got kind of a different experience and a different lens on it, that changes it from, oh, the startup people know how to do the cool solutions and the public sector people don't, to we're a team, we're all working together, we each bring different values, let's work towards the greater good. And when you can shift the conversation in that way, I think that also empowers and gets folks really excited because then they don't see their, their experience as limiting, but it actually becomes, you are really a tremendous contributor in the future of what we can do because you've got that depth and breadth of experience and looking at this council or this agency or this particular data. Mm. Okay, let's jump into some of the things that you've been working on right now. Cool. Um, <laughs> well, thank you. Um, we're really excited about some of the work that we've done here in Australia in terms of transport for New South Wales because we're working to say how can we create better internal tools for doing things like decision support and how can we create better internal tools for teams to be able to say, let's be more proactive instead of reactive, right? So if you're sitting there and you're taking the train on the metro and it's like, okay, great, it's delayed, it's useful to know, oh, the reason that it's delayed is there's a sick passenger two stations up. So obviously they're not trying to ruin my day. We've got to take care of everybody. But here's what we're doing to mitigate risk. So we're excited to put together 
solutions like that, not only here in New South Wales, but we're also looking um, to pilot some cool stuff in Victoria. And then, <laughs> interestingly, back in New York, we're also helping with a wayfinding tool for folks who are visiting certain regions. So that way they can understand and see great opportunities to kind of move through neighborhoods and discover like, here's cool places to go. So a lot of our stuff is all about using data to say, how can we empower discovery and how can we show you something that you didn't know that's actually important to know? Cool. No, that sounds really exciting. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun. And the other thing that I'm, I'm also doing as well is, and I'm, I'm sure you can appreciate this, as a, a female leader in tech, I want to do all that I can to open up other opportunities for women, especially thinking about women that are in high school or in university saying, well, I don't know if I want a career in IT. I don't know if I want a career in tech. I want to do all that I can to kind of change the conversations and those narratives because you can't be something that you haven't seen. So if I can create events where we're saying, let me show you more women leaders in tech, that can be, again, transformational for young women and people of color who are, you know, in university or in high school saying, do I belong here? Oh, wait, there's somebody that's doing really neat things that actually has a similar background to me. I want to learn more about this. So one of the other hats that I wear is as a AWS community hero, creating events like that. Because again, I feel this obligation as someone who's experienced a lot of bias. How can we change that, right? Certainly we've got to call it out, but what can we do to say, here's a difference, here's an impact that I can make right Mm, no, I love that. And we should definitely have more chats because that's something I'm deeply passionate about. I'm from the construction industry as well. So you also have... Oh, do you get it? Yeah, I totally get it. And so moving from, and I don't know what it was, but you know, I decided to do engineering without any kind of thought. And I think it's because I was from a small town that you know, we had 50-50 split in our maths and science because there were only six people, right? And three happened to be women. And I didn't quite realize until I got to uni that, oh, okay, I'm a unique person in this kind of system here. But it didn't really bother me until I kind of worked out that there was these biases. I was a bit naive, I suppose. But, and these things that were happening and then then moving into the construction industry. And I mean, even if you're unique, that shouldn't mean that you're treated any differently. Uh, but yes, working in the construction industry obviously comes with a lot of different challenges. And how do we not just continue to push the emphasis on that women have to be doing something differently, but how we make those environments safe for everyone? Um, because it's not just about women, it's about different backgrounds, it's about different preferences, it's about uh, how people... Absolutely. Yeah. And so, yeah, something I've definitely been thinking about working on and and actually, yeah, getting in front of people, getting on the stage, talking about these things so we can have open, honest conversations. But like you said, not kind of just getting, talking about it, but actually. Here's everything that's wrong. Yeah. 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 Like that's not useful, right? Mm, totally. But if I may, I'm intrigued that when you were earlier days, because it was a 50-50 split, you weren't aware that there was a big deal that there was, a, you know, like, okay, half of this, of course, is going to be female and half is going to be male. So in a way that can kind of be empowering because you didn't know, like, <laughs> there's, there's all of these challenges. So, right, because I've, I've seen young women and I'm thinking like first, second year of, of high school who are saying, uh, I don't know if I want to be part of that. That's not me. So when you talk about challenges, it's like you have students who have actually never gone forward in their math or the physics simply because they didn't think that they should, right? And when you can change that at, at that core level, that's important. 
Because then when you got the university students saying, okay, cool, now what do I do? Where's the tribe of folks that I can find that are supportive and welcoming, right? Because we do have lots of different backgrounds. I mean, that's important. And that's important from whether here I'm working with university students or here I'm talking with, you know, another company or what have you saying, but what are you doing to be supportive? What are you doing in even your outreach for recruiting that says, hey, I'm welcoming to everyone, right? Because if it's like, oh, look, you know, we love beer and and ping pong, you know, you're going to attract a particular kind of person, but you're going to leave out a whole bunch of others, right? Because I'm going to say, hey, if I were a mom with small kids at the time, obviously I don't belong here and you don't want me, right? So the more that we can say, you know, and this comes back to the larger point of what's a smart city, it's an inclusive city, right? And that means we've got lots of different spaces and lots of different ages and lots of different backgrounds. And that's really, really good because we want to include those perspectives. Because the more that you have them, you can suddenly say, well, if I hadn't had this person on the team, we never would have thought about these things because she brings this unique perspective that we just simply hadn't considered as a group of, you know, 20-something males or what have you, right? So the more that we can change conversations like that, I think the better that is for everyone. Yeah, I agree. And I think there's this subtlety that, uh, I don't know how to articulate this, but if all the conversations are, like you said, just this is what's wrong, we're going to talk about what's wrong, and but then we're not moving on to, okay, well, how do we want it to look and what, what are we doing to actually live it and breathe it? then we're never going to step out of the, you know, the kind of rut and move on to the next level, which we're all on a you know, kind of level playing field. And the only way you do that, again, I think is start that subtle conversation because it's, it shouldn't be, oh, I'm here because I'm a woman and in tech and I'm a unique thing. It's I'm here because I'm the person that has the engineering experience and the background And I want to inspire you to know that you can do this as well, no matter who you're talking to or who the people are. So it's like this changing the discourse to, oh, well, she's just there because she is the woman in tech or whatever. But it's no, no, she's the one with the experience and the deep learning and the knowledge and and the things that she needs to really share. So I think we're getting there, like we're getting there to kind of move the needle, but not being, um, yeah. Uh, it's something I've been thinking about a lot. So anyway, we should definitely have a chat after this and see what we can do. To- of course. Yeah, cool. Okay, let's, I'm really excited about this. But anyway, let's move on to the next question first. Okay. What are the emerging trends that people aren't talking about enough? So I don't think that there's enough talk about how much context matters in terms of artificial intelligence and machine learning. Like a lot of folks are banding about, oh, look, AI, ML, oh, look, this is, and where I don't think, certainly from like people outside of tech point of view, I don't think that there's enough richness or just surfacing out in conversations. This is how much information is available, and this is how it could be used, right? Here's the limitations of it. And I think folks sort of miss out on both how powerful context is, as well as in some cases how hard <laughs> it actually is. Right? It's like, oh, I just use some AI and ML. Like, yeah, let me just whip some AI and ML up now. Um, you know, understanding that, I think, gets missed out. Right? So coming back to dad, it's like, oh, you know, 
we went shopping and I was so surprised because then mom got this ad on Facebook and, you know, we didn't even take our phone out. It's like, okay, so dad, let's, let's back up a minute. You had location on, on the Android phone and you went in this store and you used a credit card and here's how all of these things kind of got tied together. I think that too many folks that are outside of working on the solutions directly don't appreciate how much is going on. There was, there was actually uh, an AFR article and I can send you the link a couple months back where folks were surprised at how banks were doing credit checks using all sorts of, you know, different factors where if you had signed up for a biweekly, you know, gym thing, that was a, a tick against you that you might be wasting your funds. And if you had used Afterpay at all, it, it was something ticked against. And it's like, wait, wait, why are you bringing all of these things together? Like I bought pet food once. Does this mean I'm more at a risk or not? for a mortgage, right? And I think that's where there's not enough attention given to just the veracity of what people can start to know about you or define patterns about you when you start to put all this information together. There's a lot of misstatements about it or, you know, overly glib in one direction or another. And I think that that needs to be changed. So I wish, I wish there was more attention to that. Obviously, as a graph database person, I would say, I wish there was more attention to graphs because they are really cool and you can do a lot. And it's not just all in banking or in fraud detection, but that's just esoteric to a mean. But those are the kinds of things where, in terms of the broader conversation, I wish that there was more attention and awareness given to us. Yeah, it's something I've been thinking about as well, um, this kind of tech and data literacy. So you talked about fluency. And I think then there's another component, which is literacy. And I think everyone's scared about the AIs and the, the machine learnings and things that are happening or whatever, or that are going to happen in the future. But we don't realize what's happening right now at our fingertips or just behind, you know, a system in our handbags, you know. And I think that there's this impetus to really change people's literacy because or enhance people's literacy because it's not the same as it was before. It wasn't reading, writing, okay, now you're good to go out in the world. There's these, all these things that are happening that we just do not fully appreciate. And it's not that we, we may not change things. We may just continue to work as we work and that type of thing. But I think where our data is and what it's being used for, we don't understand fully, even people working in the space, because there's, there's not a layer in the middle that says, you must, you know, as a company accessing data, you, these are the things you can and can't do and people must understand where their data is going and who's using it and how it's being used and what are the consequences of that positive, negative, what systems or services are you allowing them to be able to use because they said that, they, you know, your location's on, on a rideshare app or something like that. Um, so I think that literacy is really important because... I'm struggling with who is responsible for making sure that happens. And I kind of go back to public schooling. You know, the government is obliged to, you know, offer public schooling. And at what point is it that it's also obliged to offer this level of tech and data literacy? Yeah, yeah. And I think that that's a great question, right? Because you've got school students who, who need to understand it's not only think carefully and what you post to social media because future employers will Google you and those posts will come up, right? So, so it's, it's more than that. It's actually understanding what does this mean? What have I given access to? What might be shared or sold or used or augmented together with other information where you think it's siloed, but actually between telcos and others, 
it becomes not, right? And, and I would agree with you that we need to have more of that digital literacy taught in school. I think the challenge for educators is, you know, imagine that you're that school teacher that's been there for 10 years and you're not thinking about, well, what does this mean? How can I teach something that I'm not necessarily that deeply fluent in to these students? So instead of saying, hey, teachers, you don't know anything, where can you come and say, let's be helpful partners and say, here's how we can start to upskill. Here's how we can start to work together because I think too often in tech it becomes a, an us versus them of we know what this is and you don't, so we're in a position of power and they're not. And I think we need to do more to change that, especially with really complex questions that do start to get into some ethical concerns of, well, who is teaching data literacy and, and how do we want to define it? You know, everybody's like, financial literacy, financial literacy, but yeah, okay, what about data literacy? I absolutely agree with you. These are important questions for us to think through. I really loved our conversation. So thanks so much for coming onto the podcast. Thank you for having me. This has been an absolute pleasure. Yeah, and uh, we'll definitely chat afterwards. I really just have one last question, which is how can people connect with you? Absolutely. Um, best way to find me is either on LinkedIn, Aileen Gemma Smith, connect with me there, happy to be in touch. Otherwise, you can follow me on Twitter at Aileen Gemma, A-I-L-E-E-N, Gemma, and uh, hope to keep in touch and uh, hope to keep chatting. Cool. Thanks again for coming onto the podcast. And yeah, we'll talk soon. Brilliant. Thank you so much. Have a great day. You too. Bye. Thanks so much for listening to the Smart Community Podcast. Show notes for this episode and all other episodes are available on our website, mysmart.community. If you have any questions for us or any of our guests, you can email hello at mysmart.community or find us on the socials. We are on LinkedIn, Facebook and Twitter at smartcompod. That's com with two M's. If you are enjoying the podcast, please leave us a rating and review at wherever you listen. This really helps us reach more ears, so thank you in advance. As always, I hope you enjoyed listening to this episode as much as I enjoyed making it. The Smart Community Podcast is what you're looking for.